your talk show for all things automotive. From the latest news to the greatest views and the biggest names in rolling iron. Your host is Brett Hatfield, freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com and owner of his own small but growing fleet of cool cars. Get behind the wheel of an hour of car talk starting right now. Thank you for listening to Driven Radio, your home for the very best in automotive content and interviews. You can find us online at readthedriven.com, on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, Google Play, and everywhere uh, you listen to podcasts. We are everywhere. We're like Chicken Man. <laughs> He's everywhere. He's you know, everywhere. you, you got to be uh, of a particular oh, age to be able to get that. <laughs> yeah, if you're under 45, get online. Go look that up. <laughs> That's worth it. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Driven Radio Show and on Instagram at Read the Driven or Driven Radio show i am brett hatfield i'm here with the catfish Woo! mr mark groves and craving cars own Corey pratt coming to hey. you from the fantabulous driven radio studio that's now much brighter oh than it, it is was. so much brighter it's like uh disco brighter it's, and that's pretty sweet right side it's, of my face it, it's a little bit of vegas you know well you've got this uh go. it's this uh and neon thought, light that is so cool yeah. you got that from a brother your brother my, actually likes my, you that much my, what does he what, what do you got on him <laughs> oh man we, so we, much this we, isn't like the size of a dinner that, plate this like, is like the size of the hood of a car yeah almost. it's a giant neon sign that my brother hood, gave maybe. me it's a combination uh birthday christmas hanukkah uh, father's day arbor day <laughs> you know what you martin know what luther I, king leap year. Day you know what i think is year. crazy that he was able to walk into a store and actually find someone else with the name of brett hatfield it's surprising I, how you know, about that it's he must blue. have looked long and hard for that it's quite bright so I'm going to neon up the whole studio here. Sweet. We're just going to get a, a I'm getting a bit of, of a tan off of it, aren't you? Good, uh, <laughs> well, it's keeping me a little bit toasty. Yeah, I was going to say, the face. Back, back of my neck is warmer than usual. <laughs> so that's part of the news. Uh, that's part of the news. The other thing is... Studio I ha- is growing. I, uh, well... This week, we've got news about Kansas cracking down on antique license tags uh, and and registration rules. Uh, DeLorean is going to be back in business making uh, new DMC-12s in the not horribly distant future. They're bringing them back. Of course, back back to the future. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know that joke's going to be made a couple times. Glad you could jump right in there. And uh, also, soon the soon-to-be-released Baby Bronco. Lord. It's your baby. Uh, and we're going to have John Klinger on. He's the cool. vice president of PR for Haggerty, and he'll be here to talk about uh, Arizona Car Week auction results, winners, losers, and what the numbers are telling us about the collector car market. So before we dive into the news, I have an apology. Uh-oh. Yeah, oh, mark this on your calendars. It doesn't happen go. very often. <laughs> I, I, what's the date? I ain't apologizing for nothing. <laughs> Let me just make sure I'm still recording. Yeah. Okay, go. Okay. Uh, all you Mopar guys that I've been giving grief to for years and years and years and never really liked Mopar stuff very much, and uh, I got to eat all that. Uh, there, a, a few weeks ago, right before Christmas, a lady in a Walmart parking lot ran into my uh, my old Lincoln Navigator. She managed to run into a giant white Lincoln Navigator that was running with the lights on at night. <laughs> said she didn't see it <laughs> after she clipped a brontosaur on the other side of the parking lot. Uh, and I had to take my Lincoln into the body shop and leave it. And the loaner they gave me 
was a 2019 Ram 1500. Uh-oh. A quad cab, a Ooh. longhorn, which means cloth, but power everything else. You mean, and heated you mean seats. Something heated, with a Hemi? Heated <laughs> steering wheel. What? Heated God, it'd be like, steering wheel. It'd be like, oh, holy oh, dog. Oh, freshly cooked hot dog. Heated steering wheel. <laughs> uh, now, now I've found out some of the things I want on my next new, <laughs> newer car. Is it going to uh, have a Ram emblem? <laughs> I want a heated steering. Well, you know what? Uh, I wouldn't say no. Wow! I so it was a good ride. No. It was a good. It, that is huge. It ran great. It had terrific power. It would haul down the highway. It had heated everything. It was very comfortable. It had Apple CarPlay in it and a nice big screen. You could see everything you wanted to do. Maybe we should take one we of them ran, on a cannibal run. We drove that sucker all the way to Scottsdale and back. We put 3,000 miles on it and nice. ran ways all the way down there. The stereo is pretty decent in it. Here are the downsides. One, when you look at a quad cab, you think it's a crew cab because it's got four doors on it. It is not. It is a quad cab. It's an extended cab pickup. If you put somebody like me, about six foot tall in the front seat, and then you try to get in the back seat, when you try to get in the back, it's going to rip your kneecaps off. (laughs) A quad cab is not a crew cab. So uh, one of the few changes I would have made is having a crew cab truck. I would have done that. Yeah. But aside from that, man, this thing was great. It so, was absolutely awesome. that There wasn't a whole lot of downsides there at all. Well, in a couple of weeks, we might be able to hook you up. Who knows? Because we're going to have a special guest. Oh, that's right. Victory Chrysler Dodge Ram, Jeff Briggs. He's oh, going to come my. on, tell us about a really cool thing they have in their backyard. Well, Super cool. And, and I'm going to have to sit here and tell Jeff how I'm a recent convert. So well, Just pra- <laughs> practice your suck up. That may save you a few thousand. <laughs> we love you, Jeff. Cool. Sounds a little like that. Well, good on you. Uh, so anyway, all you Mopar guys that I've been telling, you guys are weird for years. <laughs> You're still weird. Welcome to the jungle, jungle baby. Yeah. We'll make you You're still You're still weirdos, but I see what you see. So I, I guess that makes me a weirdo, too. <laughs> yeah. He wants a Hemi. Okay, now that I've apologized and eaten a little bit of crow, now I'm going to get mad. Uh <laughs> On to the news. Well, at least least that was first. Uh, There's a website called Automobilia Car Show that is reporting that the state of Kansas is going to start cracking down on antique car tags. Now, uh, we know a lot of you who listen to us are not in the continental United States, and those who are aren't necessarily in Kansas, but we are a Kansas-based show. And I have vintage cars tagged in the state of Kansas. Right. So... I, I never read the codes for this. I never. I just thought if the car was 35 years old, I could go get an antique tag on it. Nobody's ever given me any grief on anything I've had that had antique well, tags you, on you it. Well, you could. I did. Until. Well, <laughs> this, this, the statutes have been in place since 2013. Oh, these? Yeah. These, really? This isn't new. It's the enforcement. Oh. It's the enforcement that's new. Uh, Automobile Car Show is reporting that uh, antique tag enforcement is going to be lots tougher this year, and they're going to start uh, uh, coming after people who try to get antique tags for cars that don't qualify. Now, the qualification vehicle must be titled in Kansas on an antique title in the name of the applicant. You know, okay. pretty standard stuff. Yeah. Yep. The vehicle, uh, a car, truck, or motorcycle must be at least thirty-five years old or older, not be altered or modified from the original manufacturer's model except for safety components. Ooh. The vehicle must be as close as origin as close as possible 
to the original without any significant alterations to major components, including but not limited to motor, transmission, frame, wheels and tires or body. Oh my god. Wheels and tires that wheels I don't and get tires. That one. Oh, Everybody but, puts different. Dude, wheels you ever and tires. you ever like whip the ass on bias plies? Yeah. It, it's not pretty. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> that Corvette's been rolling on bias plies since it was new. I've done a couple oh panic panic God. stops in it. It's a great way to see God. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see your maker, go do a, go do a quick stop in that car. Four wheel drums and bias plies that are only five inches <laughs> wide. Gives you some creative <laughs> ways to pray too. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm oh, not sweet a religious Jesus, Mother God. Yeah, I'm not a religious person, but if you want to hear me scream Jesus Christ, put me in that car That's in a panic stop. Uh, replacement motor. So you can hop out. If you do replacement motors on the car, replacement motors and or major components must be of the same vintage model year. Now, it, yeah, it's down to the year. It's not just like uh, early 50s. If you yeah. wanted to replace your flathead in a 51 with a 53, yeah. no. That doesn't work. No. They, then you can't do they the They say that's a tax. violation. They so say that's... Even if it's the same kind of... like Because yeah, you know, body guess, styles uh, and car models go for more than a year. Yeah. Well, and... and like Typically. With, like with my 61, with the Impala. Yeah. Um, it was born a 283 Powerglide car. It is a 409 four-speed car. The 409 four-speed was an option on a very, very small number of those cars made that year. It was fewer than 600. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what year 409 is. that is. I don't have a clue. I never even bothered to look. I don't care. But if it wasn't a 61 409, you can't have it in there. Yeah. The possible penalties, vehicle tag impounded, vehicle impounded, oh. vehicle flag to not be tagged again, <gasps> ticketing and possibly having your driving privileges revoked, vehicle insurance canceled, or possible, possibly retitling the vehicle with a state-issued assembled vehicle VIN. Good Lord. Now, this is where I really get pissed. To get that car tagged because it came from out of state, it had to go through their inspection process. They looked at it. Mm -hmm. We stood around Mm -hmm. and talked about the car for a while. It's an obvious hot rod. You're not, you know, no, that left the factory that no, no car ever left the factory (laughs) looking like that. that, Ever. (laughs) No. So if they inspected it and they okayed it, and they gave me an antique title, and they gave me an antique tag, and now they want to come after me for it? Yep. That's crap. That is absolute crap, and that's why I'm so hot about this. Yeah, they, well, uh, welcome to uh, Retroactive Justice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> both, both of you know me. I am much cleaner on Mike than I am when it's just me talking. So keep in mind, I'm really, really, really <laughs> fighting not to swear a blue but streak. Your, your eyeballs are on fire right now. <laughs> but but you, you rotten MFers tagged it that way. Don't be coming after me for it. <laughs> yeah. Now, if I, again, I never, I never looked at the statutes or the standards or anything. I thought it was just 35 years old. You could go get your car tagged. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yep. And, you know, this is all news to me inside the last week. They inspected it. They knew full well. (laughs) When you look under my car and you see cut springs and drop spindles, you know it didn't leave the factory that way. You know it didn't leave the factory with a giant polished 409 with dual quads and a four-speed. Although you could have ordered it that way. 
Well, I know a young man who probably needs to spend a little time at the DMV now. Yeah, I'm going to spend time <laughs> talking to my attorney first. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. show them. Well, at okay. any rate, uh, the thrust of all this is the uh, Automobile Your Car Show has a petition online, and there's also a proposed bill out this year they're trying to get it amended so it's just a 35 year old car and you don't have to have all the year date code correct stuff and i would like to encourage anybody who believes as i do a 35 year old car is a 35 year old car please let it be an antique it doesn't matter if we've you know if you've stuck a new frame under it okay then i get that i understand that but they're saying that 80 to 90% of the antique tags that have been issued have been issued erroneously. Wow. wow, that's a huge percentage. You know, that's kind of like, that's not a mistake. That's just, that's a job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is. That's what and you, oh my God. If that's the case, think about the time, money, and effort involved <gasps> in order to go back and correct all of those and then how many people are you going to chase and are you going to start issuing fines yeah is it worth it if the state has screwed it up that bad then grandfather in what's already there and then start being more careful that that's that's a way to handle it so my personal opinion i could be wrong your mileage may vary but we will have the link online to go to automobile car care or uh, automobile car show and also sign the petition, uh, show support for getting the bill passed. Let's change this because it, it seems like uh, the state has helped us dig an incredible yeah. hole. You know, they gave us the shovel and directed us. Uh, let's get this fixed. They gave you a whole backhoe. They didn't even, even <laughs> shovel. <laughs> okay, but but I, but I do. What was the engine used to have? A, what a, uh, in mine? Yeah, what, it was born a two eighty three. So two eighty three with a power glide, power, and, and, and now the, it's a four hundred nine. And the car was white. Yeah. It just well, worked out. Well, besides the color, years. I mean, the I, it, okay. So I'm thinking right now, and it's red now. So from red, white, that's a safety thing. Look at fire fire trucks. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think the 409 is. Uh, I think I think that's a safety thing too. I think that's a safety thing. Well, too. I can get out of the way More, faster. Yeah. <laughs> see, and you can certainly hear yeah. me coming. There you go. I mean, that's definitely. Uh, I petition that's uh, uh, all safety uh, upgrades. And I'm keeping Exxon Mobil in business. There yeah, you, you are. <laughs> just like just like our buddy Chris Deganchi said, I got to shut off. The car so the pumps can catch up. <laughs> oh, All righty. Well, uh, looks like DeLorean's going to bring us some new cars. You know, they are. Uh, actually, from ha- uh, from Haggerty comes news from the new DeLorean, the DMC 12, soon to be on the road. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. I, Mark's they, showing his excitement. When they came out. Oh, hey, <laughs> when they, when they came out the first time, uh, I was too young to buy one, and uh, yeah. I, and now, if you want to buy one now, you probably don't want to, just because they're not known to be necessarily the best. Well, I was going to see if they could let me get an antique tag for it. Oh, uh, but make I'm sure bumped. you change the engine first. <laughs> Let's do that. James Espy, uh, vice president of Humble Texas based DeLorean Motor Company, confirmed that. Hey, they're plans- in Texas now. It used yes. to be in Ireland. Well. Hunky Dory. Okay. <laughs> Faith and Bigori, y'all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plans are underway for limited production. So a much upgraded? Yes. 
uh, version of the classic stainless steel going coupe. I heard they're going to be faster. Uh, it's it's possible they can hit eighty eight miles per hour. I mean, they'll be produced, but the first one can barely hit eighty eight miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, you know when they came out, that, that it had nice. a little two point nine liter Renault Peugeot oh, V six in it. Right, they were and with a set terrible. of pedals, and it, and it <laughs> yeah. yielded well. a startling one hundred thirty horsepower. <laughs> Shocking, startling. <laughs> now keep in mind if you get the V six Camry today, you can get it with three hundred ponies. Oh my God! A Camry was That's more okay. than double. But at least the suspension uh, was um, was uh, tuned by Lotus. Uh, <laughs> ish, ish, ish. What, what else are so, they going to do? To it? So they, they are going to have a mix of old and new stock type of uh, of parts. Yeah. So you're going to have uh, they, you know they have uh, what I mean. Gosh, what is a ninety six point seven percent of parts available well, already. When, when the group that owns them now, it's not the original company, but when the group right. that uh, owns them now bought out all the DeLorean stuff, yeah, they bought, a bunch they of bought parts. out all the parts yes. and all the trademarks and everything else, and this has been about the only place you could get DeLorean parts for your your DeLoreans these days. Yeah, and uh, now they're going to make cars with it and add a few things. So, like, what cool thing? Well, obviously, we're talking about the 130 horsepower. Well, wouldn't you want more power in a DeLorean? I would hope. Yeah, so now they're looking at closer to 350 horsepower engine. Okay, that's okay. decent. Yes, that's yes. decent. With an upgraded interior, obviously, uh, to modernize things with modern audio and connectivity and sure. electronics. And, yeah, interiors on them. And things that are first, first go around were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And the little cigarette thing. That's they, in, they, will in still, they will still conform closely to the 81, 83 original look and style with the stainless steel body. It'll still look and, like Calphalon. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> your wife, Cook an egg, pop your, an egg on it. Oh, it doesn't stick. <laughs> your, your wife will approve. Hey, we can fry bacon on the hood. <laughs> nice. No Teflon coated on this car. Uh, At least not on the outside. Maybe underneath. I don't know. <laughs> so that way it slips so along the streets. 350 horse. 350 uh, horse. Um, you, know, you know, modern headlights and, you know, obviously all that good stuff. You know, the safety measures, of course, will be upgraded. Well, the state of Kansas says that's what you got to do. That's right. Well, they're in Texas. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> so the low volume, of course, uh, manufacturer law allows the company to make 325 cars per year. Oh, okay, cool. I want. So, there you go. Um, when I read the article, when I looked at that, it didn't say anything about pricing yet. So, well, that's okay because they're not taking orders yet, anyways. Don't think not cheap. So, you know, not taking orders yeah, yet. It's I, I probably going to be. I, I didn't know, figure this was going to be Fiat 500 range. Cost, <laughs> it's cost of a Golf, Volkswagen Golf, non GTI version. I don't see people cross shopping those. <laughs> so, they were expecting these to be more, not just straight collector cars. They're hoping they're going to be more of a, a daily driver car, not just weekend toys. So, they're going to, you know, they're going to think people are going to want that modern amenities. So, they're going to have things like smartphone in- integration, Bluetooth Dude, I, navigation, heated, I, cooled seats, maybe even heated steering wheel. You never know. I'd drive it now. Uh, and our I'll car- whip, yeah, I'll whip through this one because we hey. we got to call a certain person. Oh talk to yeah, Mr. no, go go ahead. Um, MotorAuthority.com has some spy shots of the new 2021 Ford Baby Bronco. That's good. Lord. Oh yeah, the offspring of a Bronco and a Yugo. The uh, it's. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Offspring of a Bronco in a shopping cart. I'm sorry, that's really mean. Uh, See, that's anybody too. If they're I don't not, know, it's kind of cute. They, they may not know you're going to have pictures on thedriven.com, right? Yeah, yeah. I will, yeah. and it'll it'll be the picture that looks like somebody stuck their Ford Edge in the dryer. Well, the uh, <laughs> on high. The name of it, uh, they're they're not totally sure of it because Baby Bronco, I don't think is going to work. Bronquette. Uh, they could call it the <laughs> Broncolina <Ford>, BB. <laughs> uh, it's Adventure, maybe the Maverick, a Ford Maverick. Really. No, uh, uh, Timberline or Bronco Scout. Um, oh, the old Bronco. So they're, now they're going to not only bring out a smaller Bronco, but steal the Scout name too. Well, sure, why not? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you, know the, uh, it, you could you could do Bronco. If you Scout. can have I a think that four door Mustang, you can have sound this. bad. Actually, that's the, the best le- one. It'll be built on the latest Ford Escape platform. You'll have front front wheel drive, likely to be standard. No. Uh, All wheel drive no. is an so option. In other words, in other words not, not a real SUV. Then. No, uh, it's an. I'm an I am an SUV. Um, <laughs> both are, now, it's going to be powered uh, initially by a 2.5 liter inline four with an electric motor. And oh, look at El Bronconcito! But if you're into performance, <laughs> there's a 250 horsepower, 2.0 liter turbocharged inline four. So it's more four. You know, if it, <clears throat> oh, yeah, gee. so it's like a, an ST and a, if, and if a it's, fat body. If it's built on that, uh, what would what'd you say, the escape platform, a 250 horse, it yeah. would probably scoot pretty now, good. Now, that, that is one of the things. It, my kid has a, uh, my son has a uh, an escape, and it is a uh, POS that just won't die. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he gets, he gets really good mileage, and that thing yeah. surprisingly just keeps well, on going, and I don't of, understand how. Some, some of them, though, the month of cockroach. Some of them only have a one. <laughs> 0.5 liter. Oh my god! It, so, yeah. yeah, it's a little bitty engine under yeah. there, but you know he right. makes it work. So, oh man, you know, but may, they're they're not an SUV chassis. It's a it's a car chassis. And looking at the pictures of it, that's all it is. Yeah, you look at the uh, the spy shots from the track with all the gooey stuff on it, and you're like, oh my god, that's hideous. Now they they uh, also at least on MotorAuthority.com they've got a picture yeah. of renderings of it. Yeah, and it kind of has a bit of that. The what re- was it? The Jeep Renegade? Was that what yeah. you said? It was? Yeah, the Renegade. Yeah. Yeah. it's got a little bit of that it going that on. Uh, it really would have helped if they well, had made and, the color kind of a pink. And would that be all that surprising? Because their real target market on this is Jeep. Yeah. The full-size Bronco is targeted at the Wrangler, and this is probably targeted at the other things you wouldn't buy from Jeep. Or maybe so, closer to the Grand Cherokee or something. So 2021, uh, something. you can go out and get your baby baby Bronco, your little Bronco. It's, baby. Hey, it's the on, Ford F1 On BB. that note, <laughs> uh, came real close to buying another Bronco while I was down in Scottsdale because I'm dumb. Ooh. But this time, it was a big green and white 78 full first year full size body 35 inch tires um <laughs> Great, oh my god! Great big honking lift, and oh, it comes with this step ladder too. <laughs> you need a garage tires, just to fit the tires it. in there. It, it was a cool car. We got to knock out the cool bedroom car. above the garage. You know, so we when can we get Clinger on, it. oh my god, yeah. Uh, when you when we get Clinger on, I do want to hear uh, if you bid on that Corvette because we haven't talked about that yet. So the blue one, yes, yeah, that, that'll be something amazing. By the way, that blue I was took absolutely so many incredible. pictures of that. I can imagine. I'm assuming and it was on auto. It. This is what his camera sounded like. But click, 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 You're not incorrect. Um, <laughs> that was kind of a heartbreaker for Gary. Yeah. It, yeah, was, it no was really bittersweet. Because and, he sold it or because he didn't sell it to you? Um, no, the guy he sold it to is a noted uh, National Corvette Restore Society oh, okay. uh, judge named Roy Siner. He's very, very well known in the Corvette community. And Roy bought it. Oh, wow. And he, he bought it. Go to a good home. He bought it at what I thought was a really good price for both sides. But it was, it was beautiful. And I did review the car. 
And I sat in it, and I, I couldn't sit in it very long. Because <laughs> I would have stayed. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not leaving, and as a matter of fact, I've already wet myself. You know, I like being out of debt, and I came really, really close to just walking over to the J.J. Best table. And, hey, sign my life away. Take a kidney. <laughs> but it went to a great home. Yeah. All righty. Well, hey, let's uh, let's see if we can grab Mr. Klinger here. Uh, John Klinger is going to be with us this week. He is the vice president of PR for Haggerty, and he's going to be doing a little bit of a wrap-up from Arizona Car Week and all the numbers and uh, what everything's telling us and all of that good stuff. And that is coming up next here on Driven Radio. Hey, welcome back to Driven Radio. With us this evening is John Klinger. He's the Vice President of Public Relations for Haggerty, uh, the world's leader in classic car insurance and value exp- valuations expertise. It's easy for me to say. Uh, prior to joining Haggerty, John was the Director of Development for the Automotive Restoration Program at McPherson College. He's been a, he has a technology degree in automotive restoration and a Bachelor of Business Administration, both from McPherson. He currently serves on McPherson's College Board of Trustees, as well as the National Advisory Board for the Restoration Program. John, welcome back to Driven Radio. You know, we have you on here every 60 episodes, whether you need to or not. (laughs) Perfect. Hey, great to be back. How are you, Brett? Uh, Happy. And I was glad to see you down in uh, Scottsdale. I wish we could have had more time, but everybody's always so busy when we're at these things. You never get much time to sit still. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and it was another another crazy and quick week although we we call it a week and it's actually like 10 days well yeah barrett starts way early and i think what is it uh mag that starts way early also yeah they start even earlier than barrett so yeah it's it but there's so much going on down there and there's so many sales and now with lake throwing their uh hat in the ring there's one more big sale to attend there's just tons of stuff to do and nobody ever really gets to sit still all that long so we get these quick passes while we're at the sale hey how you doing nice to see you again okay i gotta go back to work absolutely yeah well there was uh you know between all the auction companies there was uh 3300 vehicles offered for sale in those 10 days and and you know what a lot of people forget or might not even be aware of just the week prior in Kissimmee Florida there was the Mecham auction which is in and itself uh, has nearly as many vehicles as what was offered out in all of Arizona so yeah so so this is 6,000 collector vehicles uh, attempting to find new homes in the first month of the the year January yeah (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a ton of stuff. So Monterey Car Week back in August, uh, as everyone will recall, had a massive downturn in sales numbers from the year before. And that's not really what we saw at Scottsdale last week, and thank God for it. Uh, what are the final numbers for all the auctions combined, and how did they compare to the year before? How were they compared to 2019? So the, the final um final number and actually i'm sorry i misspoke when i said 3300 vehicles it actually was 3800 vehicles offered um up from 3300 in 2019 so 500 more vehicles yep it's got to the all of um all in it was 244 million dollars um so so it really wasn't much of a change from last year last year's was 251 million and it actually was it was about five percent better than what 
Haggerty's prediction was leading into the week. Oh, uh, that's so, a good thing. You know, we, we, we see that as a good thing. So the big difference is, so keep in mind, there was 500 more vehicles uh, sold this year. compared. Well, you know, about 400 more sold, 500 more on, uh, offered. Um, the biggest difference is what's happened at the top of the market. If, you know, just if you look at 2019 for the Arizona auctions, the top seller was uh, a 63 Ferrari short wheelbase for $7.5 million. Whereas this year's top number was also a Ferrari 1995 F52 for 3.2 million. So if you add up to the top 10 from 2019, that was a total of 36 million. The top 10 from 2020 is 22 million. So I mean, that right there tells you the difference at the very top. So the top of the market isn't as strong as it was. Exactly, and we started reporting on that back in Amelia during the Amelia Island auctions last year, so March of 2019, and you really, really saw that happen at Monterey. I call, we call it a miss, and when you talk about a miss, it really was a miss from our own projections, but what happened at Monterey, there were several big vehicles uh, with that, that early Porsche being kind of the most memorable oh. one. That, that did not sell. They failed to sell. And, you know, that car right there, was that was going to be a 20-plus million dollar vehicle. So uh, it doesn't take very many vehicles in that 10, 15, 20 million dollar range to not sell, but all of a sudden the total sales uh, really make a big difference. So I think you know, the auction companies, we have to remember, they're all very good at what they do. They are for-profit businesses that they are successful when they bring the right cars to the right sale and match up with the right buyers. And so when the top of the market isn't this all-out feeding frenzy that we kind of got used to for a few years, some of the top cars, they're just going to stay home. Uh, a seller, if they don't need to sell, why would they bring it to the market if it's a little bit um, softer at the top? But on the flip side, the auction companies aren't going to fill the room with a bunch of vehicles where the sellers have unrealistic expectations with the reserves because it looks really bad if there's car after car after car, it just doesn't sell. True, true, absolutely true. So the changes we're seeing, obviously the, the top of the market is softening, but what's the rest of the market look like? What's moving and what isn't? So it, it's, it's interesting. So the most active part of the market is what we would refer to as the entry level, and that is anything below $50,000 and really in that fifteen dollars to $30,000 range. And from our standpoint, that's a great thing because this is these are first-timers coming into the, the collector car market. These are people, end users, buying the vehicles to use them. It's, it's not a whole lot of speculative buying. Obviously, people a lot of times will use the hopes of future gain in value as their justification of buying it. But in a market like this, when it's uh, more of a buyer's market, it tends to be the end user is the one buying it. You have far fewer speculators. Uh, dealers aren't able to buy um, vehicles as readily as they see as being able to turn for a quick flip. Uh, so yeah, it, it's uh, right now it, it's a lot of first timers and a lot of end users, and that speaks great to the overall health of the market. 
Did you see anything going a little more strongly in that price range? Because you're you're talking my uh, my language yeah, you, you <laughs> as a bottom feeder. You said you said fifteen to thirty, and Mark woke up. I went ding. Hello. <laughs> um, are, are there specific models or uh, even specific uh, uh, makes that are going more strongly than others? Well, broadly speaking, and this is not a new trend, but it continues. So far, is pickups and SUVs. No kidding. Yeah, Yeah, there's a few factors behind that. Uh, First of all, younger Gen Xers and older Millennials, they're becoming increasingly more active in the market, and and in many cases, they're first-timers. And and here in America, or North America, really, we are dominated by a pickup and SUV society. So it's not that that in itself lends someone to wanting an older SUV, but I have to believe that has some sort of an impact Plus, they are relatively affordable compared to a lot of other collector vehicles, your more traditional muscle cars and European sports cars. So it's an easier entry point. And then the the third thing is, for someone who wants to have some level of hands-on engagement with the vehicle, early SUVs and vintage pickups, they are uh, very, very easy to work on in almost every case, parts are readily available. Take a first-generation Bronco for example it's kind of the poster child of, of the iconic suv and, and actually ford is uh, claiming that they coined the term suv with the bronco uh it's yes they are going up in value yes they are far more expensive to buy than they were even five years ago but even at that forty, fifty thousand dollar range for a really nice one it's still affordable compared to a lot of others and there's there's an awful lot that can be purchased for even less now, I realize there are some examples that have sold for well over six figures, and that is fine, but that isn't representing the, the um, majority of the sales. Those are more like Icon and Gateway and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and there was, you know, there's plenty of examples of, of vehicles that sold for bargains, and I'll use that in air quotes, but sold for <laughs> less than what the current market is um, out in Scottsdale. It's, it seems like we're still seeing a little bit of a market correction, and I'm wondering if part of that is when everything got really hot uh, after the uh, the recession and we started seeing the run-up, it seemed like there were more investors and even uh, funds, uh, classic car funds, that started popping up that we'd never seen before. And that seems to have cooled a little bit, as, uh, at least yeah, to me it does. Is that... I don't, I don't hear much about these classic car funds anymore. Not that they don't exist, but they certainly aren't the big talk. And I personally was never a big fan of the idea of of someone amassing a large amount of vehicles purely through the forms of investment and, and the promise of a future return on your dollar. Because, well, as you know, you Brett, you've owned multiple cars, and and many of your listeners own multiple vehicles. It takes time and effort and money to maintain these vehicles. Oh, yeah, it does. And if all of a sudden you <laughs> fill a warehouse up with 20 vehicles that you're speculating on their future value, well, you can't just let them sit there without touching them or outrunning them because that their condition is going to deteriorate. Plus, you have to pay to store them in optimal storage condition. But then on the flip side, you also don't want to necessarily use them the way that that model suggests that you also don't use them either. You kind of keep them in bubble wrap. So there's just a flaw in that mindset to begin with. But back to your point, yes, 
when coming out of the recession, the car market, like most other markets, took a pause and had a momentary uh, correction during the recession, but it weathered much better than a lot of other markets. Yeah, it did. Collectible markets and, and, and more, and obviously the more traditional forms of investment. And when it started to recover, it was just, it was almost eye-watering. It, 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 I mean, it took us by surprise, and we followed this market daily. And it was just like there was this two or three years of pent-up demand of people who probably could have purchased those cars during the worst of the recession, but they just kind of sat on their money mm-hmm. wisely. And it was just this tear. And it was the top of the market that came out first. And then a few years later, the middle of the market came up. And then a few years after that, the entry level of the market came up. And that's what we're still seeing right now. And I think you're starting to see a cooling trend in the very top of the market and even a little bit in the middle part of the market. What it looks like, at least for me, uh, from my perspective, is that the market's reverting to one that is more enthusiast-driven rather than investor-driven. And I, I think that's uh, I think that's a good thing. I really prefer it that way. Yeah, it, it is a good thing. We, we kind of have this joke, and, and I don't know where it came from, but I've heard it's not just within our walls. I've heard other people say it. As soon as dentists start buying a certain car, it's time to get out. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Now, I don't know. You know, maybe someone can educate us on that. Are dentists, you know, typically known as bad investors or just late to the party? But, yeah, it was uh, It was always when, when 9-11 just for a while didn't have a ceiling. Fortunately, they found them. For several years, 9 didn't have a ceiling, and, and they're like, well, as soon as you start seeing your dentist buying a vintage 9 time to, time to <laughs> I know more than one dentist it. who's a car guy. In fact, I dated a girl years ago whose dad drove a Ferrari when I was dating her. Of so, and he was a dentist. So, uh, yeah, I get that. Um, you guys, I, I think Haggerty really picked one right on this, uh, and we're going to get to your bull market list here before too long. But you all uh, noted that uh, early first-generation Vipers were going to get hot, and they did. And I was wondering if you could talk about uh, the one really remarkable one that sold, but this looked like there were several early Vipers that sold for good money down there. Well, there were several, and... And yes, let's recognize that the ones that were that were owned by Lee Iacocca and then 001. Yeah, that, serial that number one. one. <laughs> yeah, and that that's the one that exceeded two hundred thousand for some very obvious reasons. And so that is put. I'm going to put that in the file of the single sale doesn't make a market. No, it doesn't. But, but it was kind of fun to see an early viper go for two hundred eighty-five grand. Exactly. But to your point, there were a lot of early vipers that sold very well. And, and I'll give you, um, and, and from our bull market list, we we had predicted that this was going to happen. And, and to back up what our bull market list is, this is the third year of doing it. And we take a look at a combination of factors. Um, one, it's an increased amount of traffic at, to the Haggerty valuation tools of people looking up prices of vehicles. It's an increase in insurance quoting. Um, but it's not just that. We also look at the age brackets of, of who are, you know, seeking quotes for uh, certain vehicles. And then it's also a combination of what private dealers are saying and uh, just general web, web traffic on articles and stuff like that. And so the 1996 to 2002 Viper, the GTS, um, that was one that was featured on the 2020 poll market list. And here's an example of 
of one that sold. This was at RM Sotheby's. There was an O2 uh, ACR final edition. Now, it was a very low mile, kind yeah. of a bubble wrap, but that sold for $114,000. But it was also and, an ACR, wow. and that helps a lot, too. It was also an too. ACR, but the auction estimate was between 60 to 80, and you know that the estimates are never on the low side. No. Um, so this this one, here's an example that that blew the estimates out of the water. It was well above uh, the um, price guide values and, and what other value guides say. And uh, it just really kind of speaks to that trend. It, just for the uninitiated and those who haven't uh, taken the time to look it up, can you run through some of what is on your bull market list? Yes. Uh, for this year, for this year on, on the bull market list, um, Porsche 914, <laughs> and there was one that sold for nearly a million dollars. Nine hundred ninety thousand dollars for a 914.6. I couldn't Isn't believe. That crazy. Now, what was Isn't the history with this one? Well, you got to preface it. First of all, it has race heritage. It has good provenance. It was right. a winning car. It was a stunning restoration. But still, okay. even with all of that, but still, <laughs> yeah. but still, if it was five hundred thousand dollars, we'd be saying, but still, yeah. no kidding. <laughs> it was near. No kidding. And it was I mean, nearly a million. It, it was remarkable. It was a unicorn for a 914. Uh, Wasn't it, that the Portman's Porsche? Yeah. 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 Well, you're not so poor now. Yeah. Yeah. That's not much not that one. Now. Well, and for, and for a long time, you know, you could, you could buy driving examples that weren't completely rusted away for less than five grand. <laughs> yeah, you could. People it, couldn't hardly, and, and, and people, you couldn't even come close to justifying uh, the expense at least from a business case, justifying the expense of restoring one. Well, now they have, they're they're getting to the values. They're continuing to rise, and we predict that they're going to continue to keep going. That you're going to start to see more and more of them come out of long term storage because people can now justify the cost it would take to bring them back to being world world So that was, um, and for an example, they've seen a thirty percent increase in value uh, from 2018 cool. to 2019. Yeah. They are they are um, so starting yeah, to go so up. This is where we're going to say we we should have purchased every nineteen nine fourteen we could have well, five it, years ago. It's the original Boxster. Um, Dang it! Exactly, international scouts. So let's talk about the the vintage SUV craze. The Bronco has been the poster child for a long time. The Toyota Land Cruiser was really kind of the one that started started this all off. Cash uh, close to a decade ago, you're starting to see that for themselves higher at auction. The International Scout has kind of been under the radar, but this is starting to, to be the case of, of a, a rising tide floats all ships. Oh, yeah. Uh, the International Scout is starting to see its day, and, and uh, you know, as people get priced out of the range that a Bronco is and a Land Cruiser, the International Scout is an excellent alternative. Plus, you don't see as many of them around. No, you really don't. Um, that yeah, four-door Geo Tracker? Yeah. Type. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Integra Type R. Yeah. Buy one for six hundred and just sit on it, no, maybe. Integra Type R's went nuts this year. Yeah, they sure did. They sure did, and they were on our on our full market list. Um, BMW M Roadsters. Yeah, uh, those we're going to start to see those uh, taken up in value. Honda CRX SIs. Um, if you can find one, yeah, really. Yeah, well, exactly. That tends to be the case. You know, many of them have been used up, rusted away. A lot of them, and a lot of them saw second and third lives in the enthusiast market at the very affordable level. So they were even further running to the ground. So yes, to your point, if you can find one in good shape, I bought one uh, of those the brand Cherokee. Oh, the okay, Mister 
Mr. Brett, who sold one this last year. No, wait a second. Too soon. No, no, no. No, I did not. No, I did not. You never saw the turd box that thing was. It was well. it was reprehensibly bad. It looked like it had been hand painted with rhino lining on the outside. Oh, it wasn't even it wasn't even rhino you know, lining. I, it was thick barn paint. I looked at it when you posted it for sale. And I, the first thing I thought is that thing would sell for a lot more money up here in northern Michigan. It probably would have. I should have shipped it to here. you. And people love them up here because most of them have uh, recycled themselves back into the earth. The funny thing about that is, is as big a turd as it was, it didn't have any rust on it. It was rust yeah. free. But every, well, you sold too soon, Brett. Every other yeah. part of that thing was just oh god. Thank was, you, Sherwin Williams. It was tur- yeah, yeah. It was it was god awful. Uh, the car I keep waiting for you to bring up: 04 to 06 Pontiac GTOs. Yeah, that's not on there yet. Oh well, <laughs> no. But Dave we, Dave we, Kinney did mention we, it. A dream killer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they did. So those are starting to see a little bit. Of Hang on to that for a few more years, Mr. Brett. I've got a perfect one, red over red, sitting in my garage. It's beautiful. I, I, I know. Don't don't you sell it anytime soon. Nah, um, we're going to hang on to it. But what's what's cool is uh, how accurate your bull market list has been for the last few years. And you've really, really nailed a lot of things dead on. And uh, yeah. the Vipers were, were a really good representation of that uh, in Scottsdale. Um, speaking of Scottsdale again. The one thing to point out, the, the one thing to point out, you know, our 2019 bull market list, we're, we're very honest with ourselves and very transparent with the public. Of the 10 that we chose for the 2019 list, we were right on seven of them. So we got a 70% score. That's pretty uh, good. Three of them, yes. And so, but, but you know, we're, we're not perfect. Anytime you make predictions, there's, you're not always right. So we had predicted um, the Pontiac G8 GXPs were going to go up. They just remained absolutely flat, 0% change. Uh, 72 to 75 BMW 3.0 CSLs. They stay absolutely flat, 0% change. I'd like to have we one also, of those. It cho- we also chose a 96 Corvette Grand Sport, and they actually went down 6% value. So, again, the seven of them uh, that uh, that we had chosen, they did increase at, at various levels, uh, with the top one being the Toyota MR2 that went up 30% in value over the year, but uh, we don't always get them all right. Yeah, but batting seven hundred is awful damn good. That gets you into <laughs> that gets you into the uh, the world uh, gets you into the World Series no matter what. So that's that's, right. that's Hall of Fame numbers at Scottsdale. Uh, what went for? Well, I mean, aside from the nine fourteen selling for almost a million dollars. Wow, I just uh, can't which is wrap my head around that one. It, it, nobody's going to. That's just unreal. That had to be two or three guys in the room who all saw that and had to have it. It must have been, and yeah, spared no expense apparently. Yeah, yeah. The number of sales grew this year, and with the addition of the Lake Auction. Is there more room in the collector car auction world? Is there more demand? I mean, we've, we're talking about uh, bigger numbers this year, just in terms of uh, cars sold. Uh, are we are we getting close to being full? It, it's hard to imagine that that we could absorb another auction house. However, it did this year. It's I think when you look at the three big auction weeks on U.S. soil. We're looking at 
the, the Arizona auctions in January, which we this is what we're focused on. There's multiple auctions that take place in Amelia Island in March, and then of course the Monterey auction. So yeah. those are kind of the three that that we put a lot of effort into publicly reporting on because it's multiple cards, multiple auction companies in the same place at the same time. I think Amelia Island is absolutely saturated with auctions. There's no room for any more. They're probably oversaturated. Uh, in Monterey, it, it would be tough for them to absorb another one. So to answer your question, I think we are pretty much at peak. That being said, the market manages to absorb. There's enough people that come to these auctions uh, year over year that they're pretty expected. They All the companies have their own flavor and their own sweet spots. And, and again, they they know how to bring the right cars to their audience. Lake, first year out, moved over $16 million worth of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when you talk about what was, what are some of the things when you kind of dig deeper into the numbers from this year, condition was king. Condition yeah. is absolutely king. And, and what I mean by that is people are still willing to pay top dollar and above market premiums for vehicles that are best of the best. Uh, and, and that's across all price ranges. You know, let's talk about something a little bit more modern. There was a 1993 Ford Mustang Cobra R at Barrett-Jackson. We have number one condition in, in the Haggerty Price got at $95,000. This one sold for $141,000. Holy Whoa. crow. Um, so that, that's a Cobra yeah, Kai. So that a, <laughs> no mercy. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that's pretty significant. Um, another vehicle I'll call out is... Toyota Supra Mark Threes, so specifically. So there were two records um, broken consecutively. Again, this was at Barrett-Jackson. It was 1987 that sold for 71500 You're kidding. And then later, the next day, a 1990 Mark Three Supra sold for 88000 Now, both of these were these crazy, low-mile, nearly bubble-wrapped examples, kind of time-warped. Um, but there was two other Mark Threes offered by Barrett Jackson. So all four Toyota Mark uh, Super Mark Threes that I'm referencing were all at Barrett Jackson at different times. But the two that were just in average condition sold for sixteen five and fourteen thousand respectively. So yeah. that illustrates the dramatic delta between exceptional and something less than exceptional. True, because the two that sold for less than twenty, they weren't terrible. They just were good drivers. But had some miles on. Unbelievable. You know, it makes me feel a little bit old because some of these cars are cars I looked at new. I bought a Honda CRX uh, SI in 1990 right off the dealership floor. And a couple years before that, I'd been looking at Mark III Supra's brand new. Good grief. I'm getting old. Um, all righty. Right. Well, there, there, was a, there was an 83 Toyota SR5 pickup that sold for 31000 Oh, my gosh. 4 right? Which is $13,000 above number one condition in our price guide. So it not quite doubled its market value. No. What it sold for. Well, again, one sale doesn't make a market, but boy, it is fun to see the <laughs> outliers right. go for uh, uh, real real money. It's neat to see. Um, out of all the stuff you saw down there, what would you have liked to have taken home? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, when I'm at auction, let me, I guess let me say, something, vehicles that I would love to add to my own collection if I had somewhat close to a blank check. I would love somewhere in between a 1932 and 1937 Packard V12, featured bodied, something like that. <laughs> On the modern end, I would love to have a very specific 2020 
Shelby GT350R, not the GT500, but yeah. the GT350R. It's the last year for it. It's a manual transmission. It's got that really unique flat plane crank V8 engine, and uh, I would love to have that as far as a modern toy. When I walk around the auctions, like for example at Bonhams, there was a, a, a Bentley Coupe, early 2000s, the pre towards the end before they came out with the Continental GT. I mm-hmm. can't remember exactly what year, but low miles, clearly well cared for. It's the last vehicle that I, and, I, and I'm sorry, it was a sedan, not a coupe. But I stop and look at that, it's like, God, that'd be a fun car to drive for a summer. And just hope that I don't have to do any of the maintenance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the ones that caught Rhonda and I was over at Lake, and we were walking around. It was one of the very last cars I looked at. It was a, uh, I think it was a late 90s. I think it may have been a 99 Bentley Azure in that dark midnight yeah. blue with a magnolia leather and a dark blue convertible top. And I looked at that and I just thought, best summer top-down cruiser ever, yep. just so long as I never have to do any of the maintenance on it. Absolutely. That's right. And it was That's pretty. Right. And they, they are pretty. And, you know, they actually aren't as... They aren't as bad as a maintenance is, but it's they, they they risk. They're in the current price range of you know that depending on condition, high twenties, low thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the median range, people there's an awful lot of buyers out there that can afford the purchase price, but they are not aware of what it takes to properly maintain a vehicle like that, and it's just simply more expensive. It's not not always astronomical but it just takes a bigger maintenance appetite and so unfortunately some of those cars then fall into significant disrepair because they don't get the proper maintenance that they had had up to this point that's kind of the risk when when vehicles like that get into that more affordable range this is exactly what i've been saying about that mercedes i've had for years on its best day it might be worth 10 grand but the maintenance on it still reflects the original $140,000 window sticker. And you're paying for maintenance on what was a $140,000 car, and they're still charging you like it's a $140,000 car. That's right. So, that's right. Yeah, and that's why I make the joke about Mercedes engineers coming up with the concept of schadenfreude. All righty. Here's the question I didn't get to ask you last time we had you on the show, and it's always my favorite question of anybody. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Oh. Gosh. Well, I Allegedly. can't remember that person's name. No. Um, the, <laughs> what, actually, this goes back to our McPherson days, Brett. Okay, uh, I know what person it, it is it, now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, this goes back to McPherson days, and this would have been after the car show in May of 2002. My roommate at the time, he from northern Minnesota, he had his, what was his grandfather's 1976 Mercury Grand Marquis. And this car was in mint condition. And it was triple green, green paint, uh, green vinyl top, green somewhat leather, kind of more vinylish interior. And leathery. Yes, leather ad had had the most smogged out 460 you could possibly ever ask for, which is what, maybe 180 horsepower or even a little less. But, uh, it had rained pretty good that afternoon, and late that night, we decided we were going to go do some country cruising. And there were six of us in this car, three up front, <laughs> three in the back. And we went up to Coronado Heights. You remember Coronado Heights? Oh, yeah. North of town. And on our way back, we decided we were going to take the back roads. Oh, no. Which in 
rural Kansas, that means not paved roads. Not even close. Exactly. And so the difference between the not paved roads are do they have some type of a stone or bedrock, or is it truly just graded mud? Yep. (laughs) Well, we had had gone three or four sections, uh, or farmers speak for, you know, through tracts of land between intersections. And it was all nicely paid or nicely graded stone. And then all of a sudden we flew across an unmarked intersection. And on the other side, it had gone from uh, nicely compacted stone to just dirt. Well, it had rained. We had that thing so stuck. (laughs) So buried down to the axle. (laughs) And this was in the early 2000s. Cell phones were not... No, uh, widely used. No, in fact, boy. I had a cell phone in those days, but it literally stayed in the <coughs> desk in my dorm room because there was no like, coverage. Charge it up for for when I was, uh, you know, like doing a long road trip or driving back to my hometown in Illinois. So it took it took six, well, five of us pushing that thing close to two hours to get it the, oh. probably not a hundred yards. Oh no, to get it back out. So. Dumbest thing I ever did in a car was uh, six college kids in a, in a 70s American land yacht trying to think that it could go through a muddy dirt road. <laughs> hey, John, right. uh, thanks for being with us, man. I really appreciate it. We've been speaking with John Klinger. He is the vice president of public relations for Haggerty, yet he didn't want anybody to know it after that story. Uh, <laughs> all, all of uh, Haggerty's website and uh, social media information, along with John's social media information, will be found on readthedriven.com. Thanks so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do. We wouldn't be able to do it without our audience and all of your support you can find us online at readthedriven.com follow us on facebook at forward slash driven radio show.com uh on twitter at driven radio show and everywhere fine podcasts are heard i am brett hatfield for catfish groves and Corey pratt mr pratt of craving cars thanks for listening and we'll see you here next time on driven radio 